Hey everybody, welcome to Boss Rush Gaming 1v1. I am your host, Dan Murphy, and today we have a very special episode revolving around the indie game Evergate. This is a two-part episode, and in the second part I will be interviewing the composer of Evergate himself, Mr. Mike Miller. But first, I'm with that retro code, the Boss Rush hype man himself, Mr. Eddie V. So let's get started. Hello everybody, hello Dan, hello listeners and viewers. How you doing, Ed? I am doing fantastic. Oh, this game. I can't wait to discuss it with you. Uh, thanks so much for doing this with me. I um, I had just reached out to Ed, and I told him I'm doing a uh, an interview with the composer for the expansion pass, and Ed just said, all right, I'm downloading it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And to give preface to this, I see this in the trailer. I think it was one of the Nintendo Directs that they showed this, I think. Yeah, um, it was. It was the um, indie direct they did in August, and yes. at that time there was like, I mean, we had complete silence out of Nintendo from March to August, and yeah. this was like the first direct we had as like a slow drip of just news that they had coming out. So everybody was watching this. Yes, and so when they showed this, I I froze because I. I prefaced this with Corey before that I love art. I love artistic style games. I love when indie developers and I wish triple A developers, even for some first party developers, would do more things with different art styles. And then just seeing Evergate, I was just like, okay, of course, the first thing everybody's going to say is Ori the Blind Forest. Uh, and look, and then I was just like, no, this is a completely different game. This kind of it kind of reminds me of Raymond when it first came out for the three duo in the sense um or three or PlayStation one I should say around that time um uh, because it kind of had this little art style look to it and it was something about it that popped out uh and I think it's when you transition to the next level yes. you kind of get that 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 look that graphics style just like okay this is the Raymond part right here <laughs> But yeah, I I seen it and I seen it in motion and I was kind of I was just like, is it a puzzler? Is it a platform? What is this game? So when I heard that you was uh, speaking to the composer and uh, I was just like, okay, I need to download this because I need to hear the music and I need to get to the play to play this game. And I have got to say, this game is pretty much a must-have for anyone who is a collector who loves puzzle. This the composition in this game. I would say it's a contrast to what the game is. The game is you try to figure out how to get through this area, and if you're a collector, you just was you want to get these little dot pieces in it, but you got to figure out which way which way to do it. So sometimes it can get a little concerning, it can be like a <laughs> little overburdening, but the composition is so relaxing. It's so mm -hmm. it, it's like it's it's not an opera, but it's like video game classical music in a sense where this orchestra and the sound is so beautiful like hearing the piano hearing the core uh, the choral voices just hearing just like little pieces like different instruments i was just like you literally could just put the controller down and listen to the soundtrack and you would be mesmerized about the sound of this game is 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 it beautiful yeah and just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying with, you know, everything, especially in indie games where you're a little bit graphically limited, um, the music has to enhance environment that the environment that you're in. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, I guess we should uh, kind of take a step back and explain the game a little bit. So Evergate is a game where um, you're a spirit and there's actually two spirits, it comes to find out that. They're trying to recant their memories, and it goes through all stages of, like, er different eras of the world, yes. and it's in different parts of the world as well. So, you know, you're back in B.C., uh, China, then the next thing, you're in current-day Alaska, and then you're in 2030 with missiles flying everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so you're kind of in these cool different environments, and to speak what you said it's like the soothing music except for the the missile levels i don't know if you got to that towards the end where it's a little heart racing but mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, I mean, it's so relaxing. It takes on the environment. Um, the art style is just so cool. And it is a puzzle platformer. So each level, you have three different ways to um, do your collectibles. You either hit all the crystals in the level, you hit, you get the three feathers, or you do the time trial. So I'm a completionist. I have to do everything before I move on. So this game, um, I mean, it had me hooked. It was like I had to replay these levels. I learned everything about the game. Um, and I think they were super creative with every different crystal because each different world has a different kind of crystal. And then mm -hmm. towards the end, you're kind of using um, all the crystals in a level and the puzzles become really intricate and really cool. But you know, it never got to a point where it was frustrating for me. Yes, the the thing with this game is with this with this gameplay is that you have to line up your uh, spirit line uh, when you're on a crystal, and it has to hit this white part or this kind of uh, particular surface. Um, you let it go, and it uh, like purport propels you that's what it was what to say it propels you a little bit further and there are times where you kind of got to be like okay i only get this one shot because i got to connect it and stuff so it's like it make it makes you tra traverse the level with these combos in a sense and so you got to be quick you got to line up the shots and go 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 and stuff uh I, I, man, I could spend 20 minutes on one level because just like you did, I want to get everything. And it's okay if you don't get everything on the first try. You could really, it, it's good to like learn the level. If you can't get everything, just get to the end and complete it. And you know, it's, there's no punishment to it. You play at your own pace and you play, you play with what, what you want to do uh, to get everything. And so, yeah, that when I mean, it has to already the blind force a little bit in this gameplay because in the for in the first Ori, you kind of uh, there are times where when you jump, you gotta point uh you gotta stop the game and point this arrow out, and it makes you propel uh, to go further in some things. And when you're at the end part of a certain boss, like in Ori, you have to run through a whole level, tra traversing through the thing and this game in Evergate, you don't have to really, you don't have to like really rush yourself. You just got to learn where to jump and where to propel yourself. How make sure that you're high enough to get that little feather, and then it still break a glass or whatever, and then continue to go forth and everything. And if you're in the, if you're doing the time limit, you get only really like twenty seconds, so you only got about one try to do everything. Yeah. And I, you know, one thing that also impressed me with this game is how seamless the motions are. You know what I mean? There was never any like frame drops. There was never any point where I got frustrated with the controls or not being able to hit a jump or anything. I think they did a really good job with the controls, the hitboxes, everything just seemed really smooth and it just worked perfectly. I thought, I thought it was a very, very fleshed out, great overall game. Yes. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite indies I've played in a long time. I mean, I, when that game first came out, I bought it after watching the Indie Direct. Mm. Uh, that was like, that was the one that really jumped out at me. And um, I must have, I, I played it like, I think I put 25 hours into it in four or five days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I played it like crazy, man. I was, I was obsessed with getting everything in that. It was it was it was really fun. I'm I'm glad I played it, and I I feel super lucky that um, the composer is going to come on and talk to us about it because I'm very interested in like the process of um, developing indie games. I know this game was made on Unity, um, mm -hmm. so you know it's it's just pretty. This is something that always interested, you know, interested me. So I'm looking forward to it. It's funny that you mentioned indie games being made on unity um i know nintendo has been big on that because they went to i think gdc during one of the wii u stages and they was talking about getting indies and how it's easier to use unity to get onto their platform and unity became such a big thing for indie developers uh even before unreal um and we were getting tons of indie games and so to hear that this game was made on Un on unity and people are still using the system um it just makes me happy because that means that 
that hopefully they didn't have a hard time developing this game and that unity is a great system to use for people who want to develop indie games um yeah and i i love that unity is accessible for anybody you know what i mean it's not outpriced for anybody like you and i could go on and decide we want to make a game one day yeah we could go and use unity so like that's what I love about the indie world. There's so many people out there that have these great ideas. I mean, Evergate's a perfect example. Um, Mm. You know, like, it's so hard to get funding without a Kickstarter, without having some sort of money flow, and having just these restrictions without, you know, if you're trying to go through a big company. So the fact that Unity is so accessible is just awesome. I love it. Yeah, and when Unity is used right and your game looks astonishing and plays great, whether it gets a 7 or 8, whatever, there it looks like from a Nintendo perspective, there's going to be a crowd there that's going to buy your game to actually help you start your company up so we can see more future games for that company. Because I would love to see more for them, um, for the developers of Evergate. Uh, I and hear more of the composers work because everything fits you know the game <laughs> the game may be worrisome at parts but the music's so relaxing you just be like okay let me take a break ah this music's so calm <laughs> and then you can jump in to, to do it or just like or just like put the controller down listen to the music and point your finger and be like okay if i did this i did that jump here i gotta time this do it and go like you could plan out your gameplay for that level while listening to the, some of this good music so i do recommend anyone who has not picked up every game i recommend it so much to get it yeah, I mean, I, I can't say enough about the game, especially as someone who's played so many indie games and such a big lover of it. I think I think Evergate is one of the better puzzle platformers I think I've ever played. Um, you know, uh, like we've kind of gone over everything we love about it. You yes. know, it's just, it's calming. It's, it's not frustrating. It makes you think. You can kind of take a step back and look at a level and just kind of, project where you're going to go with all your crystal breaks um so you know it doesn't take a long time to beat either i think it took me my first playthrough 25 hours um and then i replayed it again recently and Mm -hmm. since it's my second time through i mean i'm lasted like 10 hours (laughs) beat the whole thing again (laughs) and and that's and that's good about this game it's like it's almost like time wise it's almost as big as a first party or triple a game so mm-hmm. if you want to get everything you want to put that time in you'll get a great thing out of every game yeah i i hope more people play this um i feel like it doesn't have the popper popularity it should but you know what sometimes these things pop up years later down the road mm-hmm. and everybody starts playing it you know what i mean so Right. Um, and once, once I think once social media starts posting more about it, talking more about it, if they, hey, maybe they get a physical one, people may see the box and be like, oh, I remember this game, or I didn't hear this game, let me get this physical version, and they got the great soundtrack or something, or something and it may be $30, $35. People will pick up, and that would be more helpful to them as a team. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I think I've pretty much said everything I want to about the game. And um, how about you, Ed? Yes, you guys can find Evergate on Nintendo Switch uh, in the eShop. I do recommend picking up that game, giving it a play, listen to the music, enjoy the artwork. There are some funny things to it, but it is a very great game. I do recommend it. Yeah, and you can also find it on Steam and Xbox as well. Oh, it's on um, Steam and Xbox. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure about PlayStation, but I, I am for sure it's on Xbox. It actually came out with the um, Xbox Series launch last week. Oh, nice. So you can get it uh, too. Um, so, all right, Ed. Well, thanks for talking to me about this. That was really fun because <laughs> um, now I want to go play Evergate again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when we come back with this podcast, I'll be interviewing Mike Miller. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody. All right. All right, and we're back, and I'm with Mr. Mike Miller, composer of Evergate, and we're here to just talk a little bit about indie gaming and composing music when it comes to that and a little bit about Mike's life. Um, How you doing, Mike? Doing well. How are you? 
Doing good, doing good. Thanks so much for doing this interview with me. So let's get started. I saw Evergate in the Indie Direct that Nintendo did. I think this was back in August? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was August. Um, so I saw that on the Indie Direct, and I remember Evergate being like the number one game that jumped out at me, and I bought it that night. I'm telling you, I played this game like it took me three days to beat it. I just played it nonstop. Um, it was one of my favorite games. And I, you know, I, I posted a little bit about it on Twitter. I saw that you're pretty active in promoting the game on Twitter. So as a, uh, as a composer, where did you start? And did you always have the idea of working with gaming for composing music? Or did you want to start in a different direction? That's a good question. I think I didn't know even when I started getting into games as a kid that like composing was a job that one could do. Like I, I grew up playing a lot of video games. I grew up on Sega Genesis and was a huge Sega fanboy up through Dreamcast. And then I went to college and I started studying computer science because I wanted to program video games. And somewhere along the way, I was like, I love music too. So I'm going to like perform a lot of music. And then I realized, oh, wait, there's somebody, you can do this as a job. You can write music. You can sit <laughs> down and you can actually create these things. You don't just have to perform them. Um, and so I really got into that in high school and in college, but it was never really about video games. At first, I was like, I'm going to be like the next big classical music composer. I'm going to write musicals. I'm going to write film scores. And uh, I, I wanted to do all the things. Um, and But the reason I ended up there from the beginning was video games. Um, and in that same sort of sense, I never realized like, oh, I could write music for video games. It was never really like a plan. It just kind of happened eventually. Um, so after after school, like, ten, what, what is this? Six years after school, uh, after college wrapped up, one of the guys I took a film music appreciation class with uh, reached out to me um, and said, do you want to make a video game? Because he remembered that I was into writing music. And he didn't even audition me or anything, uh, which is a little weird. Probably a mistake on his part. Uh, Kent, uh, who kind of brought the whole ragtag crew of the four of us together that eventually made Evergate. Uh, oh, wow back in 2016. Um, so I'd, I'd done a little bit of uh, game scoring, but nothing major before that. Um, and so this is by far the biggest game score I've ever worked on. Um, but in the meantime, I'd worked on a lot of uh, kind of film music and TV music uh, for other composers along the way, including game scores, but never my own projects. Okay. Great. That, that was um, a rambly answer. <laughs> that, hey, that's all right. It was Back all good in my stuff. Youth. <laughs> so, I mean, growing up, did you play instruments as well, or was it always kind of your were, were your interests always directed towards composing and writing, or were you, you know, hanging out playing guitar and uh, going to different guitar oh, stores I playing stairway? That's, <laughs> that, that's way cooler than what I did. I mean, I. I played violin up until seventh grade and then my mom finally said you can quit if you want to and I said yes please no more um and but throughout all that time I was really into singing and so I sang all through grade school and high school and college um and that was kind of my instrument and along the way computer kind of became my instrument as okay. well um so I I can barely play an instrument um <laughs> I could maybe eke out like hot cross buns on a violin at this point. Um, <laughs> and I can kind of keyboard cat. Um, and that's about it with any instrument, uh, except for singing, which I can kind of do. Huh. All right. Um, and in college, was music was music part of your study in college? And where'd yeah, you go? I, I went to MIT and I double majored in computer science and music composition. Uh, okay. And then I did a master's in computer science after that, um, working on a robot opera. A robot opera? Yeah, weird thing. It was a commission. <laughs> so I worked at a research lab at uh, the MIT Media Lab, um, uh, run by a composer named Todd Macover, and he was commissioned to write an opera for the Prince of Monaco as a birthday present is I guess this is like what rich people do. It's you just give somebody an opera as a birthday present premiere. 
Wow. Um, and uh, it had a bunch of robots in it. So I was I was responsible to make those robots dance. <laughs> and kind of sing. That is amazing. Um, uh, so how did it come out? <laughs> we, we didn't kill anybody. I was a re- I was like ready to escape across the border. If you you drove these robots with Xbox 360 controllers, and there were a bunch of <laughs> MIT students in the rafters driving these 200 pound robots that would zip around at like 30 miles per hour on the stage. <laughs> and so I was ready. Like if one of those goes into the orchestra pit, it's going to decapitate the conductor. I were in Monaco. It's only, what, like five miles from the Italian border? I just got to make the run for it if we kill somebody, um, <laughs> which we did not, thankfully, but there were some close calls. Um, <laughs> no, it, it went really well, and it was an unforgettable experience. <laughs> How big were these robots? What are we talking here, like uh, human size? Yeah, they were sick. They were somewhere between four to six feet tall. They kind of telescoped upwards and downwards and had a bunch of lights on them, and they had um, these three wheels in a triangular uh, formation that then also had wheels perpendicular to them, uh, sort of omni wheel, so they could move in any direction. It was actually really like controlling a video game because it could strafe, um, which obviously people don't normally walk that way um, unless they're being <laughs> weird. Um, and robot, like if you think about an RC car or something, it can't go side to side. Right. Um, but these could and very quickly. And they weighed about 200 pounds. So it would hurt a lot if they ran into you. Um, sometimes they would start smoking because they were powered by car batteries and all these things. Uh, but nobody died. Everything went off without a hitch. <laughs> and I'm never touching a robot again. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I know the listeners are going to ask, so is there a way to watch this robot opera now? There are, there are clips online. It's called Death and the Powers. Um it's a very wild show. The music is pretty interesting, uh, but definitely contemporary uh, art music. Um, and yeah, it's it's a fun fun. Well, I'm not sure it's fun, but it's a it's a <laughs> it's an interesting story about kind of technology and what it means to die. And if basically the main character dies at the beginning of the show, and uh, become he embeds himself in the machine so to speak, um, and what that means for life. Wow. Um, yeah, that's pretty deep. <laughs> so after so after college, um, you said that Kent um, approached you about doing a video game, and this eventually became Evergate? Yeah, after four, five, ten million prototypes before. Okay. Uh, it took us a while to land on uh, the final version of the game. Did you have any other part of the development of the game aside from composing the music, or uh, was that kind of your main main topic? Yeah, so, I mean, we were all part of the design process. Uh, we kind of each had our own fiefdoms. I was in charge of music and sound, um, uh, though we eventually contracted the sound design out. His, uh, it turns out I'm not good at making sound effects, um, though I told him that to be fair. Uh, <laughs> and I would also be responsible for all the code in the game related to sound. So that's my computer science background came in there. Um, and then Cynthia, our artist, was responsible for all the visual design and all the art. Um, and Kent was in charge of leading the team and the business aspects and the story. And then Ariel um, was kind of the lead programmer, graphics guru, uh, primary game dev. But uh, most of the coding was handled by Kent and Ariel. Um, yeah. Okay. So, you know, to kind of simplistically walk through the development of a game, um, was, was Evergate built on Unity? Yep. Okay. So Evergate was built on Unity. And now did... The team create a level, and then you kind of had to take a look at it and build a score around the levels, or did you have stuff pre-made? How how did your scores come about? They came... So it was a combination. Mostly the levels and the visual look of them didn't exist until all the music was written. Um, What we started with and what served as a template for me to kind of springboard off of was we had a story. Um, even though it would change in subtle ways or major ways along the way, we had a story that was about two souls in the afterlife. Um, 
And so we knew that it was going to be set in the afterlife. Uh, we had a vague idea of what that was going to look like. Cynthia was coming up with sketches. We were workshopping stuff related to that. Um, and as we went on, we came to define, oh, we're going to spend what we're going to revisit these memories of past lives for these characters. Um, and we're going to set them in these specific locales. And so we came up with the locales of China, uh, Alaska, England, and uh, the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, Cynthia had her concept art. And I then went off and looking at this art, knowing kind of how the game would play, but not exactly, uh, started writing these kind of they're not generic, but they're themed, but not specific to the levels. So I just spewed out a bunch of ideas with the concept of future New York City and the visual that it's going to kind of look like in an abstract way across the levels. Because each level looks a little bit different, but there's a general palette to each of them. So I was working with the musical palette to accompany the visual palette. Okay. Yeah, with indie games, I feel like that you're you're kind of graphically limited, um, especially building on Unity, um, that the music in the game has to really control the environment and make you feel like you're part of it. So, you know, I remember specifically playing the level Blizzard, well, one of the chapters in Blizzard, and just, like, it, it was just so perfect with the environment. So that's really cool to hear that, you know, hear how you did it and how you had the art and everything ready for it anyway with that um now did you play the game fully and listen to your music and really kind of appreciate what was going on or did you have to make changes after the final product um you mean after the release i mean once the levels were completed with the script and the code and everything yeah, I mean, I I basically, even up to the Xbox release that just happened yesterday, I was still making tweaks to things. Uh, some of it was fixing oh, wow. bugs. Um, his, the music system is kind of complicated. Um, mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't really, for the most part, it doesn't react directly to what you're doing, but it also doesn't just loop. Um, right. And so there were bugs, particularly in the very final level, uh, where the music could kind of go off the rails and miss that the player had not died. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> um, right. But then also uh, throughout the process, I was adding more music or remixing things or tweaking uh, how it was presented. Um, okay. So, like, uh, we did our uh, initial alpha sometime around December last year. Um, and from then until the release, I was just adding either completely new music for cutscenes, new music for levels, um, or tweaking existing things. Um, yeah, okay. it's, it's very much a live process in some ways. Right. Um, is it all done on computer? I mean, it sounds like a whole orchestra is doing some of these scores. It it is a hybrid. So every every initially everything i did was on computer um i have a bunch of uh synthetic instruments that are based on recordings of orchestras that i can play on a keyboard um that'll sound like strings that will sound like harps um but then i went and replaced most of that with uh real instruments so uh i booked a string orchestra um, in North Macedonia to play all the string parts. Um, oh, I went cool. to the suburbs of Boston and asked my friend who's a music teacher at Marlboro Public High Schools uh, to uh, field a, a women's choir of her friends in the acapella community and some of her students. And we set up shop in a old town meeting hall in Western Massachusetts and recorded choir for three days. Oh, wow. Um, I spent two full days uh, with a friend in L.A. recording her playing uh, harp through a bunch of guitar pedals. Um, a trumpet is played by uh, Ariel, the graphics developer and lead programmer for the game. Um, and a whole bunch. It's really been like a globe-spanning project to record everybody. So there's a, um, a cut. Uh, I'm going to script the pronunciation of this, but Katajak. <laughs> Uh, which is um, 
style of uh, Inuit throat singing um, that's used in the second set of Alaska levels. Um, oh, wow. So uh, a, a singer in Montreal recorded that. Um, and then a for the China section, uh, a Guzheng player in San Francisco and a Lutin player in uh, Shanghai. So like there's a lot of it that is synthetic and done on the computer. Um, and my initial, uh, we call them mock-ups, basically mm-hmm. a, a sketch, a proof of concept. Um, it doesn't sound bad. It just doesn't sound as good as, you know, real human emotion playing things. Right, uh, right. And then I replaced all that. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else you want to tell me about Evergate? Um, you know, I want to move on to a little bit of your, uh, the, you know, you have done other stuff in your career. So, uh, but is there anything else you want to tell us and the listeners about Evergate aside from play it? It's wonderful. Yeah. Play it. It's wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's, it was a labor of love for, for us for four years and I'm ready to sleep now. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Great. Is there anything in the future for uh, the team that did put together Evergate? Up in the air. Up in the air right now. I think we're all a little ready to relax for a bit. I mean, we're we're still working on the PS5 port, um, but now that Xbox, Switch, and Steam are at the door, uh, I think once the PlayStation's done, we're going to relax and figure out what's next for everybody. Gotcha. I did see that it's uh, it came out the release day of the Xbox series. Yeah. Um, did you have to... So, what what do you have to do that's a little bit different when you're porting it to a different system? Um, Unity makes it really easy uh, for the most part, fortunately. So you need to get, um, first off, you need to get a uh, physical hardware development kit uh, from the console maker, which mm-hmm. also means you need to get approval to develop on their platform. And then you need to get special versions of a lot of your tooling that works right. with that. Um, for the most part, because you're built on something like Unity, which is intended to be cross-platform, uh, things just kind of work. But there's then platform-specific things that you need to do, like Xbox Live sign-in and achievements um, that you don't have to deal with on, say, the Switch. Um, and Steam achievements might look similar, but are fundamentally different from Xbox achievements because they they're a different currency, basically. Right. Um, and so you need to code specifically for each of those. Um, but the fundamentals of the game stay the same. So it's just these kind of outer outer layers of the onion. What what system do you think has given Evergate the most exposure? Uh, by far right now, Switch. Um, but yeah. it's also uh, not been out very long on Xbox. So we'll see. Maybe right. that'll change. Yeah, I mean, for me, I feel like the, the Switch is just such an indie machine. I I feel oh, yeah. the most comfortable playing it um, on on Switch, any real indie game. Um, I like having it on the go. I like having it handheld. Um, it just feels better. <laughs> and honestly, their um, their developer outreach uh, for this generation, at least, has been by far the most welcoming. Um, if you we were every convention we went to, uh, we went to PAX East and PAX West once. PAX East a bunch of times. Pretty much every every one of the four years, uh, we would run into the Nintendo reps there, um, and they would be like, "So, when are you ready to develop on Switch?" And we'd be like, <laughs> "Now." Um, and we just kept in touch, and then things worked out. Um, but they they were really really a pleasure to work with, and they really wanted us to succeed and build a game on their platform. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. Um, now, when it comes to the indie direct that you guys were in um how does that come about do you have to ask them or do they approach you how, how does it work that they approached us um and i i don't know how exactly it came to be part of it's that we had connected well um with uh the nintendo of america indie rep uh when we ran into him at pax east and he kept asking us show me it show me it running on the switch and we'd be like well, we're still finishing the game. We're not ready to start porting yet. And so then after PAX East 2019, we're just like, okay, fine. We'll just work on, or 2020 rather. We'll just work on the Switch version. Um, 
just so that we can show them that it exists. And right. so we sent them like this demo of it running barely at like five frames per second. <laughs> just be like, see, it's a game. You can't really play it well, but if you sped up time, it would be perfect. Um, and so that I think started a conversation with like, what resources do you need? Also, uh, do you think you could be ready to release the game at this event that we're putting on? Oh, wow. Um, and at the same time, we had been talking to publishers that we connected with at PAX East, and we ended up uh, partnering with uh, P-Cube, uh, mm-hmm. which is a publisher based out of the UK, uh, to publish Evergate. And they had their own connections um, with the European uh, Nintendo reps. And so I, I don't know how exactly everybody got wired in together, but it was, I think, mostly luck. And just <laughs> happenstance of being in the right place at the right time, talking to the right people. I, I don't know. Is the ah, answer. That, that's so interesting, especially because Nintendo, I, at that point, it was kind of Nintendo had this odd silence for probably six or seven months, which I'm sure we could attest it was COVID that was holding everybody back. And that Indie Direct was like the first big thing Nintendo did all year, aside from a Direct Mini in March. So... At, I mean, there was so many eyes on that direct, and you had so much exposure, which was fantastic. So. Yeah, it was. That's by far the most amount of eyes we've ever been able to get on the game, and it was a huge win and a huge boost. And like for gamers, I think that was a really big event too, because of that long hiatus. To have that indie direct in comparison to the previous ones that had happened, I think pretty much like most of the titles they announced shadow dropped on that day. Right. Was less good for us because there were some really good games that came out alongside us. Um, (laughs) But still really awesome to be part of that wave of new content. I mean, I think it worked out for you guys, too, that it was released the the same day, too. Yeah. Um, Cool. So Evergate's great. Everybody should go and play it. I play it on the Switch personally, but what other systems can we find it on? Uh, You can find it on PC on Steam switch and xbox all generations if you are lucky enough to have a series x or s you can play it at 4k and 60 frames per second awesome if you have a tv that can do that i do not. <laughs> um all right so at the beginning of the interview you had told me that you're also you know working in um tv and and you've done some other games i did see that you've done a show on amazon prime Want to tell us a little bit about that show? Yeah, it's a it's a little kind of mini series, uh, potentially a pilot um, about um, a, a woman who uh, enters the workplace uh, at a Wall Street uh, banking firm and kind of encounters uh, some uh, headwinds there as she's trying to succeed. Um, it's kind of a screwball uh, office comedy um show kind of in the vein of it crowd but set in the finance world yeah i did all the music for it awesome Uh, yeah great and have you done other video games as well as evergate yeah i've done a couple of other video games as a composer um i've worked on a couple of games from a company called fabraz um so i did a couple of tracks for a game called slime song which is a 2d uh, kind of Twitch platformer uh, from a couple of years ago, and then a game called um, Planet Diver from them, which is kind of an infinite uh, scroller um, avoider game. I don't I don't know the genre for that. <laughs> um, uh, but otherwise, a lot of my work has actually been assisting other composers in their work. Um, okay. So I work a lot with uh, another video game composer, Austin Wintory, um, I work on his music team to help him do live recordings of stuff and sometimes help out with additional arrangements of some of his music. Um, yeah. Is uh, there anything Austin's done that we would know? or? Uh, yeah, um, that I've worked on or that... <laughs> uh, uh, that so, you've worked on, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I helped do a lot of the orchestration on a game called Abzu. Um okay. More recently, I mean, the entire Banner Saga series. Um, 
and more recently a Switch puzzle game called uh, Pode. Okay. And uh, PlayStation uh, video uh, noir detective uh, game called Erica. Um, and recently, I mean, he's got a PlayStation 5 launch title coming out tomorrow called The Pathless. Um, awesome. That's a fantastic score and unlike anything you've ever heard before. Um, oh, really? What kind of game is it? Um, that's that's hard to describe. I haven't really played much of it. I got to play a little <laughs> bit of it for the first time um, at PAX East, actually. Oh, cool. um, it's kind of a third-person action-adventure game, mm-hmm. but it's very atmospheric. Um, and basically, you are... Um, I don't know if the character is, an, even as a name, this kind of explorer with a bow and arrow and an pet eagle that you can scout with and fly with um, exploring the landscape Um, and there's giant monsters (laughs) nice it's Um, a gorgeous game the music's fantastic cool and uh, the name of that game again Uh, pathless pathless and it's on playstation coming out tomorrow yeah Nice. Are you a gamer yourself? I know you said you grew up being a Sega fanboy, and I see Sonic back there. <laughs> yeah, I, I this for this. It looked really boring in the back. Um, I stole it from my two-year-old daughter, who's become obsessed with him. Um, so, yeah, I, I am, and I wish, well, I, I said that I, I say that I wish I would play more games, but I am about to, at 6 a.m. tomorrow, hop in my car and go pick up my PS5. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I'm going to make good on that promise. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I play fewer games than I used to, um, but I still, I still love them. Are you loyal to PlayStation, or do you kind I, of? I've never owned a PlayStation before. I've never owned really? any of the generations, and so I, I can. My lineage goes through Sega Genesis, Game Gear, Nomad, which was the portable Genesis, Dreamcast. <laughs> um, GameCube, Wii, uh, back before then, I guess, was original Xbox, Xbox One, which has been holding me over this entire time, and now I'm going to jump ship to the PS5. I, I, I have no loyalty anymore. <laughs> what made you jump ship to PS5? Oh, there's That's all these games that I wanted to play that I missed out on in the last generation. So I've okay. only just bought, I bought a bunch of PS4 games to play on a PS5. Um, um, so the probably the most moving game experience I had in the last decade was playing uh, the, the original The Last of Us. And so I've been super psyched to play uh, the sequel. Uh, oh, great. I so still haven't sitting... played the sequel, but I loved the first game. Oh, man. That, the first five minutes of that and the first five minutes of Up, like, <laughs> they're very different, but there's something very similar about <laughs> the beginnings. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I was always PlayStation. Like, I, I always had two systems. I had PlayStation and I had Nintendo. Nintendo is kind of my secondary always. Uh, Switch is now, like, the thing I play all the time. Um, but, you know, PlayStation, I just loved RPGs, so I was big into that. I haven't decided if I'm going to go go Xbox or PlayStation with the new series yet, so we'll, we'll I see. Need, yeah, I need to play. I, I still need to play Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's also oh, on my list. So good. Was- the original was such a formative game for me, speaking of things that like inspired me to want to write music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I don't know, there will be something good else. Yeah. I'm looking forward to playing uh, the Spider-Man game. <laughs> I love Final Fantasy VII was my first RPG, and I remember that being like the first time I really loved music. And, uh, I mean, the end of disc one, that music really <laughs> hurts your soul at that part. Yeah, a little, little crushing. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, cool. So, do you have anything coming up in the future for you? Are you working on a project now? Anything you want to tell us about? Yeah, so I'm working on a 3D, another game from that company for Braz. Uh, it's a 3D uh, action platformer, um, very much like a retro Nintendo 64 style platformer in the vein of like Mario and Spyro. Um, called Demon Turf. Um, it's got a ton of attitude, and it's a really very different project for me, and a lot of fun. It's all the music is all kind of like hybrid throwback '90s and early 2000s hip hop, pop, and funk. Um, oh, 
yeah, it's it's really kind of fun and cool. There's a lot of vocals. I, I get to rap on it. I've never rapped before <laughs> in my life. But I, I'm like pitch shifting my vocals to sound like a little demon girl and I'm spitting oh, You're voicing the main character? Uh in some of the songs. It's it's all kind of freeform. It's very it's an it's very much an indie production. Um wow. I like to imagine it's the main character. There is an actual voice to the main character and uh it's the wife. So it's I'm co composing this with uh, two other composers who um, go, they work together as a duo called Fat Bard. Um, uh, and uh, one of the guys, his wife um, is voicing the character and I is also rapping and singing on some of the tracks. Um, <laughs> so it, it's all very weird. I, I, there's a musical number that's a pirate crab sea shanty boss battle. Um, and it ends up with like, shredding metal guitars it's very strange and it's wow (laughs) that's awesome um when's that coming out and what platforms are we looking Uh, at that is coming out uh, i think beginning of next year like quarter one um and it's coming out on steam switch and xbox very cool awesome great so i'll wrap this up we just got a couple of questions from the community that they wanted to ask you First one is from Celeste. She says, what are some of your other enjoyments or hobbies? Uh, this is it. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I, so I actually really, I feel like I'm in a fortunate place because I get to kind of work on the two things that I really love, which is uh, computers and software and programming and music. And I've always kind of found ways to combine the two. Okay. Um, and I keep on dancing back and forth on that uh, fence of uh, which side that I'm working on. But I, I keep things very varied. But other than that, I really love cooking. And so I do a lot of, of cooking because I really like eating. And so oh. I cook elaborate meals so I can eat them. So last night I made uh, fresh fresh pasta with um, chanterelle mushrooms with a sous vide 62 degree Celsius perfectly poached egg in the middle. <laughs> wow, that. That sounds amazing. I don't have enough patience in the world to do home-cooked pasta, <laughs> homemade I, pasta. A stand mixer makes it a lot easier, um, but it was well worth the 40 minutes it took to make the pasta. <laughs> That's awesome. And I got to eat it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I bet it tasted amazing. Good. Uh, next question is from Ed. He asks, is there any genre of game that feels intimidating to you, but you want to take it on as a personal challenge in your career? For music, yeah. Um, I, I think, I, I mean, like you, I think I have a love of role-playing games and these mm-hmm. big kind of operatic ones. Um, I think a lot of my love for music, and particularly the game medium, comes when you can really emotionally impact somebody. But that's also when you have the highest burden as a composer, when you are in charge of kind of controlling the emotional narrative and Mm -hmm. pulling players into this game and so for me like any game that goes into that and role-playing games are a big one but there's other examples like last of us did that for me right um or ori uh did that as a platformer for me um that can kind of pull you in and do so in an interactive way. That's that's the thing that separates uh video games from film music Uh, recently like Film music, video game music in the past uh, 15 years has absolutely elevated its quality. And a lot of that has come with the uh, new technology and the budgets to promote recording, uh, live musicians and the storage space to put that on discs and all these things that have changed from uh, two generations ago. Like if you think about Nintendo 64 or the Genesis or whatever, you can have a live recorded soundtrack um and with that you've also seen a bunch of film and television composers uh move into video game composing because they wouldn't have otherwise been technically capable of doing early video game composing because it was such a different technical demand um and so with that we've got an elevation of quality but i feel like we're losing some of the interactivity and so the more we move back towards that interactivity while keeping the emotional thread that the film music aspect brings to it the more I think we're going to see some really interesting stuff. And so that's not really answering your question, but <laughs> to bring it back to what is, 
any project that kind of does that, that's meant to be emotionally moving, but interactive, like truly interactive, not just things that loop, not just uh, variations of layers where drums come in when you go into battle, but something that's actually kind of leading the emotional charge with the player controlling it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's where my heart lies, and I I would love and be terrified of a project like that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you so much for doing this interview with me. Um, I really appreciate it. But where can everybody find you online? Uh, nowhere. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess probably the best would be Twitter. Is that I'm I'm new to Twitter, so I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, but I'm on Twitter under. Uh, at Michael R. M. Miller, two M's. Looks like a typo, especially with the R there. But yeah, <laughs> got lots of middle, lots of middle initials. Michael R. M. Miller. And you can also friend me on Facebook. Who knows if I'll accept you? But <laughs> you, you can try. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thanks again, Mike. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DCDM99. Uh, please go to www.bossrushgames.com. You can see all of our podcasts and our uploads. Um, and we also have our new podcast that we're doing, Band, where we talk about censorship with gaming. And you can find me also on Nintendo Pablock on Wednesdays. And that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks again, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Have a good night, everybody.